Paceline is a production of the Cycling Independent with the support of listeners like you and the master bike builders at Seven Cycles. We are community supported, community focused, and dedicated to the whole of cycling. At the Cycling Independent, if you ride bikes, you're one of us. From the Cycling Independent, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my co-host, John Lewis. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. So, uh, dude, there's an awful lot of rain up your way. Uh, Communities that I well know in Vermont, uh, places where members of my family grew up, uh, are underwater. Uh, What's your experience of all this? Um, well, it's a little bit similar to yours. We, we had a very heavy rain over the weekend, which was just the edges of that storm, I guess. Um, but also the places, many of the places that I recreate, uh, are fully flooded, wrecked, you know, towns underwater there, you know, it's a massive catastrophe. Yeah. Um, and it's the it is the second one of these since 2011 since tropical storm irene so they yeah. called that a 100 year flood and it had been like i don't know back to the i think the 1930s when they had seen that much water before mm-hmm. uh but now it's back 11 years later um i guess i wouldn't say that two data points uh, is a trend, except that uh, everyone tells me that extreme weather events are here to are stay. more likely now and that this is the new normal. So uh, it's pretty rough. Um, and I can tell you, I went I tried to go for a, a mountain bike ride in southern New Hampshire, just over the line from us this morning, and that the whole trail system was closed uh, mm. for, uh, you know, mud. Mm-hmm. They the the Nemba chapter there uh, had trotted out their mud season closed for mud season sign, and I was like, it's not mud season. Oh, I mean, maybe we're having a mini mud season here now in the middle of the summer, and our July has been just rain, Ugh. super high humidity. Uh, oh, very joy. hot. Yeah, it's very hot when it's not raining. So it's it's <sighs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's good times. I, you know, cheers to your local or that local Nemba chapter for uh, putting up signs to close the trail system. Uh, you know, when I still lived in New England, that was not a thing. Nobody ever closed a trail system. You just made the rut deeper or wider. Those were your choices. You weren't going to not yeah. ride. Uh, you might come home blackened with mud, uh, but you weren't gonna you know take care of the trail system i'm glad to hear that they do things like that yeah uh my friends and i are pretty conscientious about this like we i said we had big rain over the weekend but we've had some very hot dry well i won't say dry in the (laughs) humid in the two point sense but our thought was that most of that water would have evaporated. A lot of these trail systems are on hillsides that drain well. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, obviously we put our bikes back on the car and left. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think I, I feel happy that they closed it uh, just to take some of the decision making out of the hands of the everyday mountain biker. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that that guilty feeling of getting, you know, two miles into something and thinking, oh, wait, maybe I shouldn't we, be here. We shouldn't be here. Yeah. 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 And I was glad for that. I mean, we had driven 45 minutes to get there, so it was not awesome to re-rack the bikes and leave. No. But I would much rather re-rack the bikes and leave and we ended up finding a dry open place to ride uh back on the way home uh but i would not have felt good at all about going especially i mean ironically or not ironically going to another state and wrecking their trails would have felt even worse than wrecking my local trails oh uh, okay yeah 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 being the interloper um yeah yeah that's i mean i don't want to wreck any trails but right. if if i am going to wreck some i should at least do it in your own backyard yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, create consequences that I will, in fact, have to deal with instead of ruining it for other people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, a, a, a quick kind of parallel data point, if you will. Uh, after all the logging wrecked the trails at uh, a trail system where I ride out in West County, uh, the logging there was just devastating. Uh, we had a trail day on Sunday and got to start rebuilding one of the trails they killed. And and honestly, we got, it was a short trail, but we got that whole trail rebuilt uh, in one day. I also moved a 150 pound, give or take rock, a rock about my weight. It took everything I had to, to move it. Uh, I had to dig a lot of other rocks out of the ground around it to then get to a point where I could move it. And then I took all those other little rocks and filled the hole back in and covered it with dirt. I was, uh, immensely proud of myself, which would be why I'm sharing it now. If you walked away with your lower back muscles, uh, not in spasm, I mean, you're a hero of mine. It was, uh, you know, do you know how people pick up motorcycles like big ones when they fall? No, you put your back to it and then get your hands on it and then gradually extend your legs. And I did something much like that with this rock to just roll it uh, about three and a half feet out of the way. Nice. Yeah. Was it did it land in a position that made it rideable? Uh, it's, I don't know how stable the ground is beneath it, but if you were to go to that edge of the trail, yeah, it would be, it would be rideable. It's got a flat Mm. side to it. So it is, uh, it is robot ready. (laughs) (laughs) I'll be there. (laughs) Okay. Please lead us out, sir. (laughs) Oh, okay. Yes. So, um, a month or so back, I did a poll on this show about it being a particularly optimal time to buy a new bike. Mm-hmm. Uh, mainly due to a massive glut of post-pandemic inventory. The post I wrote for the site based on that poll shockingly and quite suddenly became the most read post ever on the Cycling Independent. Nearly 50,000 people uh, tuned into it over the sort of ensuing couple weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, the state of the industry 
is one of my preoccupations for a variety of reasons. First of all, I have a professional stake in it. <laughs> Understanding that. what bike consumers are doing informs my consulting work. Mm -hmm. But I also have an interest in economics generally. Uh, I'm not sure where that comes from. And the bike industry is one of the interconnected microeconomies in the macro picture. Mm -hmm. uh, because I'm in touch with bike companies and bike shops and bike consumers in my daily life, paying attention to the trends within the system are fascinating. Kind of like being inside your favorite movie and getting to talk to the characters and ask them questions. <laughs> uh -huh. Yeah. I'm not sure it's a movie other people would want to watch, but... I like it. Anyway, so today I'm just kind of catching up with where we are in the middle of summer, uh, which should be one of the busiest times of year for most bike shops. Mm -hmm. By the way, in addition to anecdotal information from my various sources, I also read Rick Vosper and Jay Townley uh, in Bicycle Retailer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If this is a story you want to follow along with, those guys are super informative. They're, they're probably the primary sources. Yeah. Or... There aren't they many are primary. There aren't many circumstances where you go into a room with them and they aren't the smartest cats in the room. Yeah, yeah. I think um, Rick has done a good job of sketching out long-term trends, and Jay uh, is constantly doing. He's constantly doing market research, like real data-driven yeah. stuff. So. Yeah. Uh, I find it helpful to understand what's going on. I also, I also, uh, as a side note, read the quarterly Asian imports uh, numbers. Wow. Okay. That, yeah. That's full scale nerdism. That's that's a bridge even I haven't crossed. Yeah, I don't. Um, well, because uh, all of my clients pretty much are domestic manufacturers. Or, you know, domestic shops or mm -hmm, mm -hmm. some flavor thereof. Uh, but they are, their business is greatly influenced by what's, by the flow of products from Asia. Mm -hmm. It's like the biggest, um, it's like the biggest noise in what you th think would be fairly straightforward data domestically. Anyway, uh, all of that dorkery aside uh where are we massive quantities of new bikes are still discounted yep in the sales game discounting is a way of buying sales nobody wants to discount uh, but when they aren't hitting their numbers they buy sales via discounting in order to move the numbers mm -hmm. um what we're learning is that even with deep discounts right now, bike buyers aren't buying, and that seems to be because so many of them bought a bike during the pandemic. Yep. From casual riders, who I think a lot of shops viewed as, like, brand new customers, mm -hmm. uh, to the serious sort who listens to this podcast, maybe, everyone pulled their next bike purchase forward by a year or two, even three. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. With those casual riders, they're probably buying a new bike every decade or every 15 years. Yeah. And the pandemic t was a, a sign to them, oh, I'll do it now because I have time to ride bikes. Mm -hmm. That'll be a fun thing to do. So we have cannibalized greatly future seasons. Yeah. Including this one. Yeah. Especially especially this one. And the lesson there is that the total number of bikes sold will fluctuate, 
but remain constant over time. Yeah. That's a heads up for the product managers out there forecasting sales. (laughs) You need to look not just at last season or the orders you have in hand, but at historical trends because they will hold. Yeah. You're going to have these historic events like a pandemic that uh, distort things greatly, but the trend will revert to its mean. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the other theme I see developing is that clothing, clothing and accessories are in shorter supply. I suspect this has to do with the production timelines for those items being shorter, allowing a lot of companies to pivot and pull back the reins before flooding the market. Mm. Mm-hmm. So if you know, as a as an exercise, if you just went to QBP. Uh, quality bicycle products who are the prime the the lar- I'll call them the largest distributor to bicycle retail in this country. Yep. Just look at inventory numbers on what I would call key items mm-hmm. uh like like Grand Prix 5000 tires or I don't know, you know, pick pick anything that you recognize as a as a cornerstone item. And you'll see that the inventories are low. Mm-hmm. Um, the upshot of all this, as usual, is that your local bike shop is working overtime to navigate a difficult marketplace. Mm-hmm. If I could plant one suggestion for how you might help your LBS weather this storm, it would be to order products through them. And by that, I mean, even things they don't have in stock, ask them to order for you. Mm -hmm. Even things that you can buy directly yourself, because I I used to have that thought quite quite a bit. Like, why would I ask? Why would I have you order it when I could just order it myself and have it delivered to my house? Mm hmm. And the answer is this, the retail price will remain the same, but the shop will be able to get their small cut and bolster their standing with their suppliers, many of whom in desperation are rushing to the direct consumer market. All true. In the long run, you'll benefit from this small investment in your local community, uh, both economically and by preserving the existence of your bike shop, and you'll save the shipping charges. Mm. Uh, which will be uh, uh, absorbed by the shop. So, that's my brief dissertation today. Uh, have you talked with any industry friends, maybe product managers, about their coming forecasts? I I have not discussed coming forecasts with anyone. Uh, the thing that I am aware of that has skewed all of this uh, and... My sense is that the shaking out of this oversupply uh, will take some time. Uh, I mean, all of the downstream consequences won't be seen for at least another year. You know, it would have been one thing if everybody had started ordering uh, extra product during the pandemic uh, just to meet demand. Um, those, Those market forces... You know, that's that's a cycle that will shake out in fairly short order, you know, a year, Mm -hmm. maybe two. But the thing that strong armed this into what's going to be a lasting crisis for at least another two years, I think, is the fact that 
many factories and many suppliers like Shimano um, were telling their clients, like say a Specialized or a uh, um, you know a Kona, um, who's just had a, a whole host yep. of problems. Um, yep. They were telling them, well, you know, look, just just so you know, just to make sure you have all of the information you need, um, we're going to fill the biggest orders first. First. Um, so the bigger your order, the higher you will be in the queue. So companies were ordering unnaturally large, uh, placing unnaturally large orders just so that they knew they had product in the pipeline. Um, and so these were order sizes that were not reflective in any way of what sales forecasts were. They were unmoored and the, the downstream consequences of that, you know, we're seeing them now, but they're going to continue to play out for some time to come. This is how we are seeing $13,000 e-bikes going for $8,000. Yeah, I see I see a number of companies having big trouble. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh especially the smaller companies. Um and it's 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 not just a case of it's not just a case of having to overorder from big suppliers. Um it's shipping costs yeah. skyrocketing. Yep. Also the the timing so demand was very strong and then it wasn't. Mm-hmm. There wasn't there wasn't a broad uh, like a long ramp down of demand. Mm-mm. It was like gangbusters through really this last winter and then when the season should have started it didn't. Yeah. Yeah. I mean the craziest part was hearing from people that the closer they got to to Christmas the more sales fall, fell off. It yeah. was the opposite ramp of what they normally see in November and December. Yeah. 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 And I think a lot, a lot of them, because this happens every year in the season, I know is that people are like, Oh, it, things are ramping off for the winter, but come March, we'll see the, the, the graph climb again. Right. But it, and even if it was below average for a holiday season, okay, that's okay. March is coming to save us, except it didn't. Yeah, and and April didn't either. No. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's a scary, uncomfortable thing to watch. Um, <sighs> I'm describing it as you know, uh, if you're imagining the trend lines, they're smooth, but that's not actually what they're like. They're more like when you're caught in traffic on the highway and everything grinds to an absolute halt. And then you start moving again and you think, oh, we're going. And then you grind to a halt again. It's that sort of like (laughs) cascading every little bit of momentum that comes then dies completely. So it's, I think a lot of people are struggling with knowing quite what to do. Yeah. Um, and certainly I can't speak for other markets and whatnot, but, um, there are two independent shops here in town, um, that, you know, while they're not willing to share sales numbers, uh, with me, um, the fact that, 
two of the biggest dealers in town are now specialized stores, um, you know, selling no lines other than specialized in terms of bikes. Um, they've been able to pick up new lines as a result and sales are growing for them. Um, and so, you know, maybe for some of the not corporate owned bike shops, uh, things aren't quite as dire, hopefully, maybe possibly. Yeah. I have spoken to a few really what I would call the better run shops that I know, and they are up revenue wise over previous year. Um, which sounds good. And I think it is good, uh, except that there's been, there's more cost involved in it as well. Yeah. Uh, and there's a lot of uncertainty, uh, as this thing works its way out, um, suppliers will be pushing direct to consumer channels. Basically everybody is looking around for margin. Um, the suppliers are. So some of them are shorting their international distributors in order to bolster the domestic market. I mean, it's, it is it is complicated and interconnected, but, um, you know, international shipping costs are through the roof. The dollar is very strong. That makes thing, selling things abroad very difficult, which puts more pressure on domestic sales, which pushes people into discounting earlier. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, I've gone pretty far down the rabbit hole on this, so I will leave it there, but <laughs> I'll bring you back a little bit. You know, in your opening, you talked about actually taking an interest in economics these days. Um, yeah. And that's true for me as well. And, you know, I actually find economics interesting now. And I think this might be one of the hallmarks of adulthood that as a child I looked at and was like, I don't want that to happen to me. Yeah. I must be a grown up now. I find economics interesting. Yeah, I like to un- try to understand complex systems. I try to look upstream and see how these things are going to affect my work and my family. Um, the other thing, and I, we talked about this uh, on this podcast, I think three weeks ago, is that I think the mainstream media is very short of econ- economics education. And so you have a lot of people saying, oh, well, there's going to be a recession or inflation is going to do this. But they're just they're just repeating things other people told them without a rationale for what they're saying. Yeah. Uh, a lot of what you read is so-and-so says this is going to happen. Well, okay. Is right. It, how many real sources of information are there? So. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 All righty. Well, we're going to take a break and we will come right back. This month, we're sponsored by our good friends at Seven Cycles, who've been in the vanguard of American custom frame building for more than a quarter century. When you work with Seven on a bike, you get real input into the design. They offer more tube set options than any other builder. They offer more ways to customize your bike. The process is deep, but it's also fun, and the result is a bike you'll love riding for a lifetime. We've secured a few places in their busy build queue for Paceline listeners, which means you can get a fully custom dream bike from Seven in just three weeks from submitting your measurements. This is the fastest route to the very best bike you're ever going to own. Also, just for us, they're doing what they call the Centennial Build. That means that your designer, 
bike builder, welder, and finisher will have more than 100 years combined bike building experience. That's a lot. To find out more, just head to 7cycles.com forward slash TCI. Okay, we're back with the Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. What do you got for us this week? Well, I've got a listener question this week. Uh, oh. From Sean in upstate New York. Uh, I'm thinking maybe we should get him and producer at large, John, together for a ride. Um, anywho. Well, one of them's in Michigan and the other's oh, in New right, York. Michigan. But, I, uh, yeah. <laughs> this is, yeah. Uh, thanks, ADD memory. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Moving right along, um, uh, well, we could always plan a vacation for them. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'll put that on my list. Yeah. Uh, Sean writes, hi, all. I am writing because I just returned from a ride in which I experienced two flat tires. I am running 32 millimeter tires with tubes. The first flat happened about 30 minutes into the ride. No big deal. I put in a new tube and was off again in a few minutes. The second flat happened near the end of the ride in the rear tire again. Obviously, I must have missed a small stone or bit of glass when fixing the first flat. Anyway, this has got me thinking. I am not ready to go full tubeless right now. However, might Putting a bit of tire sealant in my tubes have prevented the flats that I experienced today. I would love to hear your thoughts on the positives and negatives of putting a bit of sealant inside of my tubes uh, in an old school tube and clincher tire setup. Okay. I love I love this question. <laughs> me too. Me too. Uh, okay. First, ow. Been there, Sean. Uh, the second flat of the day isn't just a flat, it's a loss of confidence and will get inside your head more often than not. Yes. Um, a, a, a second flat causes me to turn for home. Okay. That's, I, I think I am on borrowed time now. I need to just start making my way back. And I'm probably riding faster as if that's going to prevent it flatting a third oh, yeah. time. Yeah. 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 But it's that let's, kind of feeling. Let's make sure to raise impact force. Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, okay. So second, I get the reluctance to move to tubeless. There's a learning curve and it's not fun. Um, everybody gets covered in sealant at some point. Um, it, it does wash out of clothing really well. Generally. It doesn't wash out of leg hair, though. I, I can tell you. I mean, most of you will be leg shavers, I guess. But for the hair suit among you, you mm. don't want liquid latex anyway go on note to self uh now uh, uh okay one other thought though um you know learning how to set up tubeless is easier than learning how to bleed disc brakes um also trust me for sure yeah um now to the real question can you put sealant in a tube um there have been so many circumstances lately where someone comes back with the with the question with an answer in a question of, you know, why would you want to? I'm not doing that here. The short answer is yes. The longer answer is that it's probably easier to learn how to set up a set of wheels <laughs> with tubeless tires. Yeah. Um, here are the issues putting sealant in tubes. Um, getting the sealant in is a challenge. 
Milkit, a Swiss company, makes a syringe that can get sealant into the tube without coating the inside of the valve stem, which can make inflating said tube nigh impossible. Um, even now, I sometimes gum up uh, valves. Um, also, inner tubes have to be pumped to a higher pressure than tubeless tires. Uh, the higher the pressure, the harder it is for the tire to seal. Um, or in this case, inner tube. Um, all that said, it is possible to buy slime brand inner tubes. Uh, so a tube with uh, actual sealant already in it. And um, I did a little research last night and verified that, yes, you can buy a 700 by 28 to 35 millimeter wide tube with slime in it. Um that would certainly save someone from the effort of putting the sealant in themselves. And um, slime, the, that particular sealant is thicker than what someone would likely be able to inject into a tube. <sighs> Having covered all that, I'm going to do the thing that wasn't requested and advocate for going tubeless. Um, and I will not belabor this particular sharp object, but it's worth noting uh, the following. Tubeless tires are, by their nature, more puncture resistant. Uh, so that's, that's one really terrific vote for somebody who's just had two flats in one ride. Um, <clears throat> also, as I mentioned, they can be run at lower pressure, which both makes the ride more comfortable and decreases the threat of flats. Uh, and finally, uh, tubeless also cuts rolling resistance, even at lower pressures. Um, I don't know. What would you add? Um, I share your view in for a penny and for a pound. Uh, the minute you start <laughs> uh, dealing with sealant, just go all the way. And I would add... I have set up tubeless tires. I don't like doing it. Uh, some soapy water is usually the secret trick that gets them to seat most quickly. Having said that, I don't change my tires that often. And since my tubeless setups, I think I've had one flat running tubeless in the last four years. Um, so I'm at the point where I go by my local shop uh, and I say, set these up for me. Uh, and it's a once a year thing. Uh, they'll set them up. I'll ride them uh, recklessly for, for a year. Uh, <laughs> pop them, clean them, have them set them up again, and I'm good to go. And I just don't think about flats. So, yeah, I would say go for it. The other thing I might think about is you could, instead of putting the sealant in the tube that you're running, you could pour some into the tire itself, still use the tube. Uh, it would keep you from injecting it into the tube. It might still work. But really, just go tubeless, man. I, I have my doubts about putting sealant in the tire and still having a tube in there. I, I have, I have my doubts about that. You can. Okay. <laughs> I will. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not advocating it. I'm not advocating it. These are all, um, 
I think bad that solutions spaghetti's to not what... going to stick to the wall. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> that spaghetti will not stick to the wall. Yeah. Uh, but just don't throw any spaghetti. Uh, well, there's also that. Yeah, just don't throw spaghetti. Just have your shop set you up tubeless. It's it's cheap. Uh, it's confidence inspiring. I mean, there's a lot of reasons to do it, and I was against doing it, and I didn't want to learn how to do it myself. But, gosh. Yeah, I can't think of any reason not to. Especially, especially on the heels of a two-flat ride. The thing that, you know, I'm a compassionate sort, and I I, uh, am uh, uh, empathetic to a fault, (laughs) as you and I discussed before, uh, we began recording. So I want to allow that, you know, if Sean has wheels that are not tubeless compatible yet, yes, that yes, does yes. represent a substantial investment. And uh, I get not wanting to do that. Um, but given your pull, this winter might be a really good time to buy a set of wheels. Also, Good quality wheel sets have come way, way, way down in price. It's amazing <sighs> what you can get for $400. Those are facts. Those yeah. are facts. And maybe Sean doesn't have 400 You're absolutely right. And who wants, like, maybe he loves his wheels and he doesn't want to leave them behind. I completely get that. Yep. Uh, it is a conundrum, but I do think the answer to this question is dichotomous. Either deal with tubes and flats or make the jump to tubeless. But the the middle road, uh, which is possible, I don't think it's going to to get him where he wants to be. I'm going to offer a, a final uh, data point and then you're going to jump in with something you almost said just now. Um, back when I was first really starting to get into, you know, modern gravel riding, i.e. not riding dirt roads on 25 millimeter tubulars, uh, which is what I was doing in the 1990s and loving it. Um, Doing gravel rides on even 40 millimeter tires, but with tubes, flatting was a regular thing. Um, And as soon as I moved to tubeless flats stopped being the thing, you know, so it's not just fewer flats. Um, it's basically no flats. I, it's basically no flats. Yeah. yeah. And the, the thing that I almost said and will say now is that in a lot of ways, this isn't about changing flats by the side of the road or having your ride interrupted. It's in a hundred percent about, confidence in your setup and being able to entirely forget your tires while you're riding your bike. Yeah. Yeah. The Um, level of reliability uh, and confidence that you have in just slamming through things. I mean, hell, you know, until fairly recently, anytime I hit something hard enough to ping the rim against a rock, yeah. Um, until very recently, if that happened, I just pulled over. Right. Thinking, okay, I'm about to a fix flat. a flat. Yeah. 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 Um, I no longer pull over. It took me a while to actually make that change in my head to realize this is not a ride interrupting event. 
Yeah. Try not to hit the the rim against the rock again, dude. Um, but you know, you're good. You're good. Yeah, I think I think this is a twofold thing. One, it's it's possible that uh, Sean and my road bike um, is not set up tubeless, so I I'm still in this headspace a little bit myself. I'm I'm riding it my road bike that is a lot less than I used to, but that's a Separate whole other issue. thing. Um, uh, so he might have that issue and he might also not want to deal with the bike shop to have this thing done. It's painful to me to outsource work that I used to do. So I used to set up all my own wheels and tires mm-hmm. and all of this stuff. Um, and it's painful to me to say, to go to the local shop and say, Hey Jim, can you do this for me? He doesn't care. He'll take my 25 bucks or whatever he, he, he charges me for that. He doesn't mind. But for me, it's a little bit like uh, giving up a part of the hobby of, of bicycles that I like. Mm-hmm. Except that, as you say, the results are so much better. I don't flat trail side. I just don't flat. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think I think this calls for um, a future poll on my part on the cost effective methodology to setting yourself up with the things to be able to go tubeless because it doesn't require like buying uh, a chambered pump or an air compressor. There are ways to do this that are really pretty inexpensive. And, you know, a couple of YouTube videos and and you've got the education you need. Um, Yeah. Then it's just trial and error the first time or two. Yeah. Um, But yeah, that's how life goes. <laughs> it is. It is. All righty. Let's move on to Paceline Picks. What is yours? My pick this week comes from my countrymen on the Welsh national football team. And that's football, uh, the sport where you kick a ball with your feet, not the American hand egg game that people <laughs> call by the wrong thing. <laughs> so my pick is the Adidas Tiro 23 three quarter pants. They're essentially a pair of tapered, lightweight soccer pants with pockets and drawstring waist, and they're long enough to just cover your knees. They really, they used to be called the half pant. Now they're called the three quarter. I don't really know why, because they, they cover, they just about cover your knee. So, but they're not knickers. They are not knickers. They are shorter than knickers. The, the pockets zip. Uh, and the pants are close fitting enough that the stuff you put in them, in my case, my phone, it doesn't knock around. Mm. Uh, and I'm not ever worried it'll fall out because it's zipped in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In the summertime, I'm always looking for ways to wear less. Uh, and to do that, sometimes I look outside the bike clothing space because bike stuff tends to be overbuilt for hot days. In oh, my experience. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that you, Patrick, eschew drawstring waists. Uh-huh. But actually, the elastic on these is such that you might not even need to tie them. I didn't tie... I wore mine this morning. I didn't tie them until like three quarters of the way through the ride. Um, and because the fabric is so slippery, like it's made not to chafe during long soccer training sessions, mm-hmm. it doesn't work its way down your body like many pairs of baggies do. mm these shorts, because that's what they are, they're shorts, they just stay put. Um, 
you could, I suppose, go for the full shorts version, but I like this longer iteration because it gives me some protection against passing shrubbery and the nefarious intentions of my saddle. Uh, they're also long enough to overlap a pair of knee pads, which is nice. Also, shorter shorts t- will ride up on you. They just will. And, mm-hmm. and these don't. Um, they breathe better than any cycling shorts I've owned, and they're cheap. They're 45 bucks. Uh, sizing runs from extra small to triple XL, so wow. that's pretty good. If you need smaller ones, I believe there is also a youth version. So, good hmm. coverage for the large and the small among us. Huh. All right. Um, cool. What have you got? My pick this week is a product I referenced in my poll. No, You're not so good the that slime way. filled inner tubes uh, because <laughs> I have never actually used them. Uh, and I don't tend to review things I haven't used. Um, uh, I will include a link to the uh, to the slime uh, tube in our show notes so that Sean can go look at them along with anyone else who's interested. Uh no, my pick is the Milkit valve system. So as mentioned, Milkit is a uh, Swiss company and that's M-I-L-K-I-T. Um, I hear I hear the milk part in Swiss and I think cows. Uh, this is what ADD does to the brain. Um, they have an elaborate valve and syringe system that will allow someone to seat a tubeless tire And with their valves, it's possible to remove and replace the valve core without losing all the air. So you can get the, yeah, it's really quite ingenious. Um, uh, For the lazy among us, it's maybe just too well thought out. Um, (laughs) But, you know, you can. Why are you looking, why are you making meaningful eye contact with me when you say the lazy among us? Well, that's self-implication. It's uh, oh. it is nothing against you. It's just I'm oh. I'm I'm silently coming clean, which is really not coming clean, even in a little bit. Yes, I resemble that remark also. So go on. <laughs> but I wasn't going to give you away. Yeah. Um, so uh, yes, the valves in this system are really cool, um, and it's it's hard to do them justice verbally. Um, but the star of this little show is the syringe itself because it's the right size to fit through any valve stem, not just milk kits. Um, their syringe is marked for both milliliters and ounces, uh, so that someone can inject exactly uh, the amount of sealant they want, which, uh, for a, a not terribly precise person, like, uh, the aforementioned self, um, I actually get more tires out of a bottle of sealant by using this syringe and putting in, oh, I know I'm putting exactly two ounces in as opposed to maybe two and three quarters. Um, I'm, I'm famous for a little bit of an overpour. Um, mm. <sighs> milk, it seems to favor Amazon over many of the other big online retailers. So I'm going to go with, uh, John's recommendation. Just go to your likable. Uh, local bike shop and ask them to order it for you. They have a bunch of different versions of the kit. Why you would have different lengths of valve stem in a tubeless system. Cause you're not really running those from an inner tube through a deep dish rim. I don't know, but they've got 35 millimeter valves, 45. So they've got different lengths and I can't make heads or tails of why. <laughs> um, but 
I know that you can buy this kit for as little as 15 bucks. Um, one little word to the wise, when injecting sealant, position the valve stem at either four o'clock or eight o'clock uh, to make sure that there's no chance of sealing ba sealant backing up in the valve, like filling the <laughs> lower portion of the tire and then coming bubbling. I've never done that. No. Also, don't do this on a carpet or rug that you'd like to keep long term. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There are these things called driveways. Yeah, yeah, do it outside. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Something and if you have a really nice hit. driveway, go out to the road. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, there will be a link to both the Milkit valve system um, and uh, a link to uh, Slime's self-sealing Presta tubes uh, in our show notes. Alrighty, that's a wrap on another episode of the Paceline. We would love to hear your thoughts on anything we talked about today. Um, you can also muse about, you know, uh, the James Webb telescope or uh, the meaning of life. Um, but we'd love for you to comment on it at the Cycling Independent. And while you're there, do us a solid. At least consider subscribing. Uh, actual subscribing is better than consideration, though. Uh, we have $3, $5, and $10 options, as well as a tip jar for those who... Uh, or maybe a little commitment averse. Uh, your dollars do go directly into this podcast and our other productions like TCI and uh, the podcast John does with Stevel, Revolting. There is no private equity involved anywhere within our environs. Uh, this is a, a low-key uh, independent production, uh, which is to say we need your help to keep doing what we do. All righty. Uh, anything else, John? Nope. Okay. Then <laughs> until next week, I'm Patrick Brady and you are John Lewis. And, uh, Hey everybody. Thanks for listening to the pace line. Mm -hmm.